This is Inside Exec. I'm joined today by guest host Jamie Wadley and we're talking in this final part of our discussion with Anise Haddad about what teams might look like mentally as well as physically in the coming age of organisations as well as how we can address our own leadership issues when we don't know the answer. Is it a worthwhile exercise then for organisations to consider doing that on a, a regular basis? Yeah. Just, just looking internally and saying, okay, who are we? Who should yeah. we be in 12 yeah. months' time? And therefore, Absolutely. who should our people be? And does it mean mixing and matching the teams? Or mm-hmm. having a, a more fluid workforce than the, the structured, this is the project team for this job? Absolutely. And, and in my opinion, it goes from the awareness that who I am is not fixed and who will I become is not fixed and who we are as a team is not fixed. Once you get into that kind of fluid nature, then uh, once you recognize the fluidity that's already there, which we were pretending before was pretty static, it becomes possible to really move into new and different areas. So organizations do as a whole become more entrepreneurial because they're looking forward, they're, they're reacting rather than presenting a, a finite product and saying this is what you'll buy it's more yep. about what will people need in five or ten years time and let's see how we can get there and that also connects back with that the same idea of needing to embody the organization in a much bigger way than simply my function or my area of expertise mm. because it's so much more complex that if each individual is simply doing their thing they it just can't work so so there are other exercises I, I i have one that i love having the top team embody the organization like like when you get in a car and your sense of space it it extends to cover the the car that's how you yes. avoid scratching other cars sure yes a bus driver will do the same thing and they can squeeze through little spaces so your your brain has a way of expanding so i have a series of questions uh people pull a card it says I am the organization and what makes me most proud is. And so they, they need to think of themselves. If I, if I was the organization, I was speaking on behalf of the organization, what makes me most proud as the organization is this, or what makes me uh, sad. Got a bunch of different statements like that, that people can, can, can fill out. And again, it's not the answer that matters. It's simply this embodiment of the, of the full organization. Yeah, understanding what it, everyone has that understanding of what it is. So it becomes the communication of, of where you see yourself in that yeah. environment. So am I seeing the, the injection of organic into organization now? Yeah, it becomes mechanized. It's, it's actually recognizing that it's never been mechanized. It's always been organic. No. And we were, no, pretend- no, I agree with that. I think it's always been we forced. Pretending that it was mechanized. <laughs> Yeah, but we're it's just a machines, bunch of human so. beings. Exactly. <laughs> Trying to be machines and not doing a very good job of it. Yeah, fascinating. Pretending that we're a mechanized kind of hierarchical thing and, and yeah. actually just a bunch yeah. of messy human beings with all their problems and anxiety. Yeah, that's right. Bald apes. <laughs> Please, how else would you have human resources departments? Please. Yeah. <laughs> Take it back, both of you. It's interesting that that exercise you were talking about because in my my background is is doing a lot of corporate training and when I came into an organisation that was in difficulty in terms of 
relationships with one another in work teams. The question I would have them sit down at the table and look across the table at the people that they couldn't get on with and, and sometimes didn't speak to at all. Yeah. And, and they had to say what they appreciated from the other person that was contributing to the organisation or the work team as a whole. And it was quite an eye-opener to yeah. have them have to verbalise, find something, which they all could, and then to have to verbalise it and for the other person to think, oh, they've noticed that. Yeah. So that's good. I There's think. a knowing smile in this I'm seeing there. <laughs> Who are you thinking of? Come on. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've done that many, many, many times, and it's always eye-opening. And what's really funny is that people will go home and they'll tell their spouses, I did this amazing exercise and I discovered this about myself. And the wife or the husband will say, I've known that for 20 years. I've been telling you that. You just don't listen. You have to go spend a lot of money on a fancy resort. Yeah, and exactly. A and everything. exactly. I don't know how true uh, that is. Yes. yes. <laughs> we also have a lot of questions throughout the years we've been doing the podcasts about having creatives in teams and letting them do their own things, uh, you know, whether it's it's artistically or uh, technologically or uh, I know Jamie's working with some chefs at the moment and, and having some issues with the creative chef environment in the kitchen. How can we as organisational leaders allow these people to have that creative framework within a structure how do we communicate the structure to them? It's not about managing the creativity. It's about communicating they, that still has to fit into a structure and that yeah. there's a, a financial reason for that apart from anything else. That is the biggest challenge today. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, when, when I get asked, like when a leader will ask me that, I said, that's why you're paid what you're paid. So <laughs> it's a big challenge to figure out. It's touching on so many areas. So creativity is a, is a form of diversity, and we've had a few years of diversity and inclusion and stuff like that. And one of my favorite areas is that I think the next level of that diversity and inclusion is going to be things like neurodiversity. Yep. And when you talk about creativity, in my mind, it's a little bit in that area. Yes. And at some point, how do we get to an environment where we consciously form teams that have mixed diversity of thinking, creatives with non-creatives, have them work together in a way that is effective and joyful and produces things of interest. I really think that's the, that's the area that most of us are going to be working in creating going forward. It's the only way we're better than AI. My experience for many, many years was in the construction industry in a public sector environment. And we introduced a thing called multidisciplinary teams in the 70s when it was just unheard of. And it meant that architects, engineers, quantity surveyors, draftsmen, clerical support staff all worked in one team that looked after a particular project. Our equivalent in the state government at the time were absolutely horrified about <laughs> How, how how could they possibly do that? You know, how can you have those diverse people working together to achieve one end? And I thought, well, you have to do it anyway. It's just that you all work together and then you pass the paper on to the next person. You know, 15 years later, every construction organisation was working that way. So is it, are we looking at 
some bold, brave organisations to take that on before it becomes something that's accepted and show that it can be done and show that it can be done well and that it does improve the organisation as a whole. Yes, uh, yeah. I think that's a beautiful next step. It's exactly that same process. It's beautiful what you were doing in the 70s on that. It's that same process, just further extending it rather than multidisciplinary, it's multi ways of thinking, multi neurodiversity. Mm -hmm. ADHD has benefits. Uh, Autism spectrum has benefits. Uh, Yes. How do you mix them together? How do you get people to work together who think in such radically different ways and not make each other wrong? It's, It's just that next level. In terms of that construction example, we've got the, the plan of how it works. We know that with introducing that, there was discrimination because the professionals, I'm going to use the air quotes a lot, yeah. or hashtags, <laughs> I can do a hashtag as well. <laughs> there was very much discrimination against the clerical staff because it was like they're, they're just the clerks. You know, they just do the paperwork, but mm. they do it professionally. They do it well. And in some cases, they're the ones you go to because you can't remember where. I, I remember doing this design. 10 years ago, do you know which project it was on? And they will know. So, you know, their their skill is in that area. So we have an example to follow of how to introduce areas where labels are attached to people in terms yeah. of the role that they do. So we're coming in this full circle again of all the stuff we're yeah. talking about. Yeah. We can use that plan to introduce this next stage, if you like, of making teams work together. Yeah. But I think there are much bigger labels on the neurodiverse stuff than there are on the professional, you know, the trained side of, of things. So that it, it's all right for an architect to say, well, I'll, I'll, it's okay, I'll work with a mechanical engineer, but I won't work with a civil engineer. If we're looking at it, just in terms of any kind of team, even if you looked at McDonald's for, I don't know, 30, 40 years, they've had people with Down syndrome working there. And that gets treated almost as though it's something they should advertise. Look what we're doing. Aren't we good? Rather than here is someone who looks a bit different, who works a bit differently, but by God, they can do their job. You know, yeah. so, so let's just focus on the fact that they get the, the result that we, we're looking for. But the labelling comes with a, a whole lot of reactions that it didn't, to my mind, in the era of the 70s. Yeah. So we've got, to, we've got to address the labels first. We've got to look at how we look at people. So coming back to the human element, coming back to the people again. I think it comes from pressure. We don't do these changes because they're fun. These changes are really difficult. I think the pressure for this kind of mixing up and then putting the labels aside and all that, I think it's going to come from AI because if AI can do so much of what we used to be able to do in that mm. mechanized mindset. So if we want to get together as a team, as an organization, and, and do something that is beyond what AI could, we use AI to get there, but to do mm. something beyond the creativity and everything is going to require recognizing that putting these different ways of thinking together is powerful. So then the labels just kind of, there's value in all of them, but it's not from let's pretend that there's value and let's smile and, and dance yeah. together and all that. It's more a, a survival mechanism. Mean, uh, yeah, means to an end. Yeah. Mm. If you so look in at, your um, experience, is there any... Sorry. No, no, go ahead. 
No, I was just going to say in your experience, is there any best practice or any simple guidelines where you can get these different sorts of minds to be able to work together without rubbing up too harshly against each other so they can get that almost hive mind type performance out of these diverse teams as opposed to you being engineer, you being draftsman, you being whatever that we can put in place now that people take on board as this is a starting point for how we'll bring these people together. If I were to boil an answer down to just one thing, it would be to lean into the shift from valuing answers to valuing questions, becoming mm-hmm. curious, being able to say, I don't know, I don't have an answer. And let's just ask really, really good questions. Okay. I think that mindset creates an environment where that can flourish. Having a mindset of, sure. I, I, need to, I need to fix things, I need to have an answer, I need it mechanized and all that isn't going to cut it. But I think sure. if, if that mindset is there, there could be so many different ways of going about creating that environment. So obviously, you know, it'd be a mutual respect. It'd have to be you know, part of the formula and perhaps rather than we're not talking team leader anymore, it's so much a, a mentor or facilitator type role. So I, I, it just interests me on a personal level how to how to make this sort of stuff work. So I can see it being the way forward, especially in light of you saying, how can we work better with AI and, and use that as our platform to get us to 80 or 90% of what we want and then using that human element to take us the rest of the way. Yeah. I think the the first part of what you just said there, it emerges almost automatically out of that mindset. Okay. I don't have the answers. My value is that yeah. come with great questions that are very hard to answer because then curiosity comes in, respect for different types of thinking comes in. Sure. So the other things flow out of that where the leader's title, the leader's role is not really the yeah. key there. Each person has value that they can bring in. All those things flow from that yeah. mindset. I, I like the idea of the, uh, I like the idea of the curiosity perhaps being the common denominator that'll help bind these people together. I think, uh, I think that's quite exciting. There is a quote by the founder of ontological coaching in Brazil, a Brazilian guy, Julio Lala. Knowledge is a love affair with answers. Wisdom is a love affair with questions. Beautiful. I've always loved that quote and it's got that Latin sexiness to it. <laughs> love affair. <Yeah. laughs> It's a love affair with questions. You have to say it with a certain swagger. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much packed into that that's really beautiful. And yeah. um, I think that's the mindset. It's a, mm. having a love affair with questions, a love affair with no, I like that a lot. I'll use that. I'll quote you on this, okay? <laughs> I'll quote your quote. Could I just pay devil's advocate in, in terms of that discussion? We live in an age of information overload yeah how do you sort through when you do your research and you follow the curiosity trail and you get all of this stuff together how do you filter out what you're going to use i don't <laughs> know <laughs> just write another i was expecting a really succinct <laughs> answer from you there nice. I don't you're know. letting me down now he prefaced his answer by telling us earlier that he was he was happy to say he doesn't know. He doesn't yeah. <laughs> the most honest answer in the world as far as I'm concerned. I, I love it. I use it all so the time. Sometimes, sometimes I've had whole teams of senior executives practice saying, I don't know. You can only give one answer. The only valid answer in this exercise for the next 15 minutes is I don't know. 
and you ask them something and they want to say it, they want to answer, then they'll say, I don't know. And then after a while it becomes a game and they start laughing and, uh, and then, then it opens up because it yeah. loosens yeah. things up. They don't have to pretend nice. to know each yeah. time. That's nice. But I, you know, your question, Kim, all of the addictions that we had, the drug stuff, the just say no to drugs in the seventies and eighties and everything in the U S all that stuff. I think we've got a whole much bigger level of that with this information overload and, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, and fake information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love that. Our, our brains just sop it up. And at some point as we're going to culturally, we're going to have people reacting to that. And yeah. I, have you, but just in that sense, because I've have certainly seen it over probably the last five years. So, so pre COVID as well as, post-COVID, the way we talk these days, that there's been more of a shift towards organisations and individuals looking for mentors rather than coaches or accountability partners rather than mentors just to, I guess, reassure themselves that their thinking and the changes that they want to make are okay, that they've got no sounding board other in terms of, of the organisation or themselves. And so they're looking externally to explore what they want to do have you seen that yourself that's a yeah that all of those whether it's a coach a mentor sanding board or whatever that recognition that we need an external pair of eyes is something uh, i didn't have that when i was running my company in the 90s and early 2000s it was i know people did it was rare i think now there's a much greater comfort with having that Back then, I think it was like, oh, you've got a coach. You need a coach to get fixed because you, you need you need something. Problem. Yes, and that's that's grown, that's changed now. I think it's the complexity, and that there just is so much. It comes back to the information and the opportunities, and there's just, in a lot of ways, we're more open to doing yeah. things outside of the the rigid yeah. confines of what we have seen done in the past or or think should be done, and yeah. that, that we're prepared. We've seen people succeed by colouring outside the lines for want of a better yeah. analogy and so or or having paradigm shifts in industry and so people talk now about well, what will be the next paradigm shift you know this yeah. industry needs a paradigm shift where 20 years ago they wouldn't have known what that was <laughs> yeah I'm struck by how much humility has come into our leadership world that a few years ago it was like the strong CEO, humility wasn't part of it. And oh, even yeah. if you remember Jim yeah. Collins, uh, the level five leaders, the top, the pinnacle is a leader who has a mix of humility and iron will. He described that as being very, very limited, that there weren't very many of them. He even has said he wasn't sure if someone could develop those qualities. It, it was almost like you're born with them. And it feels like now we're just surrounded by that. Because iron well is already there. In order to move up in an organization, you need iron well. And then humility is just coming in because we're acknowledging that we don't have the answers. So That we're human. We're human. Yeah, it's okay to be human. Yeah. It goes back to that we don't have to be the machine. Hmm. Yeah. When you pull out a bit and you're looking at the forest instead of the trees, it's quite amazing to see this amount of humility and iron will all combined in such a large number of people. Mm. Johnny bodes well for us in the future. We will survive as a species. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, Jamie didn't say yes. He's still thinking the machines will take over, or we're in a simulation. One of the two. It's, it's just interesting, as you were saying uh, about that iron wheel and uh, and the humanising of it. Yeah, you know, we look at companies like OpenAI, who are obviously you know at the forefront of so many things these days with their creation. But we get someone like Sam Altman, who is probably one of the the most human individual CEOs that I could probably mention, and it just seems almost incongruent given the the nature of the business he's in but it's exactly what you're saying yeah i use chat gpt every day absolutely i think as a species we're very quickly going to have to dig deep inside ourselves to see what is it really to be human yeah, it's an incredible like, time it is we're almost at the end of our time talking to you is there anything that you would like to add just in terms of your books or those sorts of things, the, the areas that we might not have covered? No, I think we covered all of them. Yeah, exciting times. Being in midlife is wonderful. Yeah. Yes. So, <laughs> so now you're going to have to come up with another term because it was always talked about as the midlife crisis. So it's not a crisis really in a negative way. It's a, a crisis of positivity. Yeah. Change. It's actually it's the same energy that drives a midlife crisis it can express itself in a different way. Perfect. You've taken a lot of pain out of that transition for me, I can assure you. So. <laughs> I look at it completely differently. If I lose my keys, I'll, I'll just cry. <laughs> I'll be fine. I say, yeah, but my brain is linking better. That's why I lose the keys. Great. Anise, <laughs> exactly. it's been lovely talking to you today. Thank you so much for your time and your expertise. We look forward to the release of the book in January or February next year. Yeah. And certainly all of those Most details definitely. will be on the website. So thank you for today. Thank you, Jamie, for joining us today. I'm Kim Bailey and this is Inside Exec. Pleasure.